podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode of Red Inca, we talk about Sun on the Rhine, a man on a constant journey to perfect his own T20 game. And to do that, I found another writer as obsessed with him as I am. My name is Kartikya. I'm a freelance cricket writer and also the ASX. We talk about chucking, length, box of tricks, batting, Trinidad, and how he hides the ball up his own butt. Let's start with Trinidad. You're not from Trinidad. No. No. I only mention that because I think for T20 people, we're all spiritually from Trinidad at this point in that yeah. it is mm-hmm. the home of the game. Windball was the original version of T20, even before probably Martin Crowe's Cricket Extra and the sort of pub versions of T20 that were around. There's been an incredible amount of talented players that came out of Trinidad, haven't there? Yeah, from Karen Pollard to Dwayne Bravo to even now Nicholas Poor and Samuel Bhatti, all of them are pioneers of the game, right? Yeah. Bravo was probably a first original T20 death bowler, someone who would bowl three at the back end. Pollard in that Champions League was probably the first model finisher of T20 and Badri started the quick spin revolution. So all of them are not just any other player. They've contributed so much to the progress of T20. Yeah, I mean, Badri probably quick wrist spin, but also probably the first wrist spinning opening bowler consistently, I would have thought. Yeah, probably the only one. Yeah, I'm trying to think, because after him, there was a few, but I remember writing about him early on. I don't think there was anyone in his era. He was kind of on his own, wasn't he? And then Yassir Shah mm-hmm. sort of became one afterwards and Shadab Khan right. did it a little bit as well. But it mm-hmm. wasn't really a thing, was it? And the other one that you mentioned in your article is Nicholas Puran, who's sort of, what is he, a middle order spin enforcer? Like, you yeah, know, one of the, 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 yeah. So again, another pioneering player. All these players, I'm, I'm pretty sure all the one players we've mentioned, except for maybe Badgery, were actually at, was it Pollard's house or Bravo's house? That was Pollard's house, I think, for like a dinner one time. And Puran was no one at the time. And, and Puran <laughs> was saying, do you think you can make it as an international cricketer without playing first class cricket? And Dwayne Bravo said, yes, but it takes a lot of work. And they basically laid out for him what he would have to do to become. So it's an incredible group, not to mention Darren Ganger as a captain. Oh, we're missing one as well. Who was the medium pacer who did really well for a couple of years and played in the IPL? Kimon Cooper. Yeah. Like, again, he was kind of like Benny Howe, I suppose, in some ways. Maybe not quite as advanced as Benny Howe, but... Trinidad just massively has all these incredible different kinds of players that not all of them even played win ball, but obviously that's played yeah. a big part in them all developing. Definitely. And yet for all the players we've just mentioned, the most dynamic player, the most T20 player, that's what I'm going to call him, <laughs> the most T20 player ever is Sunil Narayan. Yeah, 100%, because I don't know where they start because he's done so much that I think it's hard to encapsulate in one brief discussion, but... Well, let's start before 2014. Before 2014 is easy. He was the best finger spinner, probably, well, that stage, probably the best spinner in T20 cricket, wasn't he? He was unplayable at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, like I said in the article, what he did was basically change the way T20 spin is even looked at because when T20 started off, the idea was probably... 
to get wickets like any test spinner would try to do, right? You try to make things happen and you try to get wickets out of those middle overs. But what Narayan essentially did was change the goalpost of what is expected out of a middle over spin bowler. And to call him an off spinner is probably doing disservice. But if you were to compare him with other right arm spinners who've had an off break, he bowled so differently to anyone else because he was bowling fast, he was bowling flat, back of length, nothing like what your typical tennis spinner would do at that point in time. No, and like if you look at the one-day spinners, like I think of guys like Peter Taylor and even some of the sort of more, you know, um, Deepak Patel type spinners, they were defensive spinners in one-day cricket. So from Peter Taylor onwards, really, we have defensive spinners in in one-day cricket. But they would bowl very, very full and they would bowl fast, but nothing like the pace that Sunil Narayan would bowl. And also, they weren't bowling to people who were trying to hit them out the ground very often, were they? Do you know what I mean? So it was a completely different style of bowling. Now, 2014, or the end, was at the back end of 2014 is when the ICC cracked down on illegal actions of off spinners. I still think they made a huge mistake there stopping with off spinners. I think they should have done it with every bowler in the world and really tried to work that out. But it was the off spin they were worried about. Syed Ajmal, I think we worked out that he had gotten to, what, 38 degrees of um, bend in his arm. And even he was like, that's not okay. And, you know, it's also great that by that point in cricket, we had the ability to be like, this is something that can be fixed. This is something that can be rehabilitated. It was less calling Syed Ajmal a cheat and more being like, how do we help you and fix this so that it doesn't happen in the future? The problem with Sunil Narayan in that point is that he was so worried about losing his career that he started picking individual series where he thought he wouldn't get called. So originally yeah. the IPL was one, the CPL was another. I don't think he played much Big Bash in that period. He didn't play as right. much international cricket. So 2016, he didn't play for um, the West Indies. And he said he was working on his... Well. Yeah, yeah, 2015, yeah. So at that point, you would think a bit like... It's like Syed Ajmal just basically disappears. He tried to rebuild his action. It didn't work and he disappeared. Sanon Orion kind of keeps playing through that era as... Johan Bota becomes a batter and Kane Williamson doesn't bowl anymore and all these mm. other guys disappear from the game or, you know, Shane Shillingford doesn't ever take another wicket again, right? Yeah. Talk me through that period where Sunil Ryan's still taking wickets because clearly he had changed his bowling after the action. It's actually fantastic that you say it because the second revolution probably came around 2017 when he started batting, but there was that period between 14 and 17 where he didn't have his batting, he was just bowling and he was probably just living off reputation, right? Because people still wouldn't take risks off him. But I also think he was because of his control. Not many spinners maintain the same level of control once they're starting to bowl with a new action because it's something you've bowled with your entire mm-hmm. life. You suddenly have to change it and he still bowled the same le- with the same level of control. And as I was saying in the article as well, I think the five to six meter mark, that's the sweet spot in T20 bowling. It always was and still is. Yeah. In the five to six meter mark, you concede at less than a runner ball. You're going at 5.88 per hour and you're still picking up wickets. But what Narayan does is actually not just bowl there, he bowls 27% of his balls there, like most other spinners. But he bowls almost 50% of his balls behind that sweet spot. And that's because he aims for that sweet spot and his margin for error is behind it rather than in front of it. When you bowl in front of it, you're going at almost eight and over. 
Whereas if you mm. go behind it, your ceiling is at most seven. And by repeatedly bowling behind it, he's not giving batsmen that opportunity to get off the front foot and get into that power position to slog. And that's the same whether it's his new action or his old action. And I think that's what makes him special and stand out as a bowler, honestly. Yeah, I think I wrote about this when he played his first test in England. I can't remember if that was his first test or his second test. But he played at Edgebaston. It must have been the Tino Best test, actually, now I think about it. <laughs> or it was around that era. Anyway, for those who don't remember Tino Best, he almost made 100 batting at number 11. But I remember writing about it beforehand that it was going to be a huge change for him to be able to bowl in test cricket because his lengths were massively different to any other bowler that we'd ever come across. So, you know, for Imran to hear, his lengths aren't that different. And, and even Rashid Khan, he's a little bit shorter. But Sanon Narayan mm. was noticeably shorter. He's, he's got the shortest regular ball that you've ever seen. And he played in the Big Bash in, was it 2017? And I remember, even though they thought he might get called for throwing and they knew he couldn't spin the ball both ways anymore, they were basically basing it on the fact that Michael Beer ha- yeah. had the ability to bowl quicker and you couldn't pull Michael Beer because he was too quick and too strong and you couldn't get down to him because he bowled that shorter length and you couldn't slog sweep him because he could still get the bounce right? Their big thinking in Australia at that time was, I think it was Melbourne Renegade. Yeah, he was with the Renegades, uh, Sun yeah. on Orion. Their big thinking was Sun on Orion would be able to do the same thing. And as you said, there was a lot of reputation involved. He was so yeah. good. I mean, he was the world's best player for a couple of years from what, 2012 to 2014. And so he had that reputation, but it's just so noticeable how much that he was bowling shorter than other spinners. I've got this theory that there's basically Asian spinners and non-Asian spinners, Western spinners, right, Mm. when it comes to finger spin. And Asian spinners basically bowl a little bit fuller and softer, if that makes sense. Mm. So they might bowl faster, but they bowl softer. Whereas if you look at the Western spinners, you've got Michael Beer and Paul Harris and Ray Price and Monty Panasar is another one, big, strong Mm. spinners, and and you can't pull them because of their length. Sun and Ryan did the exact same thing without actually being as strong as them, but just by bowling faster and shorter. The interesting thing, though, is, as you mentioned in your piece, is he actually did slow down a little bit, didn't he? After being called, there was clearly his action was illegal in that first impossible to play phase, and they had to do it. So he did bowl a little bit slower. But because he was still Sun and Ryan, people weren't just going to run down the wicket and try and smash him all the time. And you still... He was obviously finding the exact right spot where you couldn't play a proper back foot shot off him. Yeah, essentially, because if you want to get back, you have to pull him. But he's still bowling around that five to seven meter mark. And you have to go behind seven if you want to actually pull him. And if you want to get into a proper front foot power position, you have to be around that four meter mark. So what he's doing is essentially bowling in that in-between area where you almost are forced to play a rotating shot of him. Playing a rotating shot itself is not hard, but then mm. actually slogging him, especially when he's turning the ball both ways, that's almost an impossible task even now, despite him going slower. Yeah, and we've seen other people who worked it out as well. So well, one of my favorites is Michael Yardi. Yeah. I mean, Michael Yardi basically bowled that length, didn't he? Where you could rotate, you and I could have rotated the strike off Michael Yardi, right? And that, I have no idea if you can play cricket. I don't mean to throw you <laughs> under the bus here, but I'm pretty sure that both of us, if we were facing Michael Yardi, we'd be able to rotate the strike. I'm also absolutely positive that if either of us tried to slug Michael Yardi, we would have been out within a ball. 
right? <laughs> and so there is clearly something that, that has come back and it's a T20 spin length is just unlike any other length now. And even the wrist spinners have come back. You have a look at Rashid Khan and, and Farwad Ahmed and Imran Tahir. They don't mm. bowl anywhere near as full as they would in red ball cricket as they do in white ball yeah. cricket. I think that if Sunil Narayan isn't the person who invented it, I think he's certainly the person who made it popular. Yeah, I think we were mentioning the speeds and I know Narayan dropped around 3Ks now. He was bowling at 94 and then he dropped around in 90. But almost everyone bowls at that speed now. You look at Washington Sundar, you look at Krinal Pandya, they all bowl fast and it, they might not bowl the same length, but they all bowl fast. So it's almost like the line started that kind of revolution when almost all finger spinners bowl as fast as him. And all the spinners bowl around the same range as well. Not the Rashid Khan range, but somewhere one band below that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why it's so noticeable when you see Nathan Lyon or Matt Parkinson bowl. They're basically bowling what spin bowling was kind of in the 80s and 90s. And whereas yeah. everyone else is at this upper band. The other thing that you talked about, which I found really fascinating, and I'd never heard this one before, was that he cut down on his paw balls after he changed his action, which straight away is a yeah. phenomenal thing to be able to do. Because as you said, he's grown up with this action. It's his. He feels really confident in it. He's blitzing the world. Suddenly he gets called for chucking. He has to start rebuilding his game. And he was called for chucking a few different times as well. So it was always on his mind. And now he had the ability while rebuilding his action to actually become more accurate, which I find remarkable. Yeah, it's insane because, like I said earlier, he's bowling with that action since he started playing cricket. He has to change it overnight. Yes, he comes back and he starts bowling more accurately. And by accurate, I mean fewer drag downs or overpitched balls. So he's essentially staying in that range we were talking about more often. And it's actually incredible because his bad balls were starting to get hit more, probably because batsmen weren't going into a shell as much as they were before, right? They probably saw that they could score off him if he overpitches at times or drags down at times. But by cutting that down, he's not giving them that extra bit of freedom to get away with it. No, exactly. And the other one that I thought about was how much he changed his different bowling tricks. I'm pretty sure I should have read my old article on him before, but I always thought that he underplayed his off spinner. I thought he had one of the world's mm. best off spinners in 2020. 2011, 2012, 2013, that yeah. period. He was basically opening up his body more, though, so he could bowl the carom yeah. ball more, where he would flick the mm. ball, which is fine. But I remember watching him bowl on pitches that spun when he bowled off spin, and his off spin was unplayable even before he spun the ball the other way. But essentially, that first period that we're talking about when no one could play him, he had two deliveries, correct? He had a hard spun off spinner and he had a carom ball. Now, when yeah. he comes back, he has to change that. The carom ball was the one that he was essentially being called for the most, and he could keep right. his off spinner, but it didn't spin as much as it had beforehand. I think it was partially the pitches he played on as well, because early Guyana CPL or early Kolkata and the IPL, those pitches spun a lot. But I think 100%, he wasn't able to get the same amount of deviation as he did in, the, in those peak days. So... He almost had to rely on that knuckleball or cannonball more often. And he probably cut down on his off-spinner as well. Like you said, he probably had the best off-spinner in the world at that point. But he probably had to cut down on bowling that as well. It's almost a 50-50 split now. So the cannonball and the knuckleball, you talk, sort of talk about them interchangeably. But 
his original ball was more like just a normal carom ball, wasn't it? Like yeah. a flick out the front. He then right. changes that to an actual knuckle ball. And um, do you know yeah. when that was? Because I could never work out when he made that change. I think he bowled both before the 2014, 2015 okay. man. And then after that, he just cut down on that carom ball, which actually deviated a lot. The knuckleball mostly floats out and turns a little bit, but doesn't actually grip as much off the surface. No, but because it behaves so differently, it still causes a lot of problems. But then on top of all that, he then adds the fact that batters start picking him from the hand and they start picking him from the the back of his run-up. And so uh, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about Sunil Narayan, but he's worked a lot with Carl Crowe, the England coach who was worked with him, I think, in Trinidad and Kolkata. To basically, they like Carl Crow is just like, okay, at every level, it feels like hey, Sunil Noron and Carl Crow. And w- you and I have to guess a lot on this because Sunil Noron is, he would be close, as far as big of a star as he is. I didn't think we've ever had a player who has spoken less about his own career than Sunil Noron does. He's so mm-hmm. private. And like I've written and made videos of him, and his friends will contact me, but you never hear from him. He never wants to talk to anyone about any of this sort of stuff. Very rare. I think he might have done one Crick Info interview and one Crick Buzz interview where he's really uh-huh. talked about anything other than his journey. And Carl Crow basically helped him redesign himself. So explain how he started to hide this ball, because I think it's genius. I think the first time I saw it was probably the 2019 CPL. Do you remember him bowling then before? I think you're right. It was either late 2018 or, or mid-2019 when I first yeah. noticed it. Yeah, I think it was 2019 CPL. He's bowling against Barbados. And he's already unplayable on those tracks, right? Early CPL, those tracks turn a lot. And I see him hold the ball behind his back. And I was like, wait, hang on. I haven't seen him do that before. And I don't think Shaivo Popoy was batting. I don't think he was able to pick him at all. And... He didn't do that every game that CPL. Mm. I think he was on and off. I don't think he mastered it as much because we've seen bowlers do this before, but it's not something well, generally which generally is... they do. The, I, I don't know if was a Macram and Wekar Yunus were the first guys to do it, but hold the hand in front of the ball so you yeah. can't see which way it's going to reverse. Benny Howe does it every ball. We've seen bowlers hide the ball before, but it's still part of the normal run-up action. The interesting thing about Narayan is that he's giving you no tips on how he's holding the ball because it's literally, as I've said many times before, he's literally almost sticking his hand up his ass. Like you can't see it. It's behind his hip and you don't see it till it comes over, which from a biomechanical point of view is really, really interesting because it changes your run up from a bowler to more like a javelin thrower. You're almost coming in on the side waddling in. And so he's already changed his action once. And now he's changing his run-up as well. I, I mean, Sonal Noran is an evil genius. Like, the ability to keep changing and still land the ball on a spot and to do what he's done, it's just, it's phenomenal, isn't it? And like you said, because he's holding the ball behind him, the non-striker probably can't pick up any cues as well. Yeah. If they're holding in front, then the non-striker can see, probably pick up a few cues, but there's absolutely nothing he's giving you. And the fact that he's made this repeatable, if you saw him bowl in this hundred. He's been doing that every walk. It's not mm. an on and off thing anymore. I think he was probably post the 20, 20 IPL ban that he made a regular thing. Yeah. No, and no, he's definitely had to bring it in. Ridiculous. And, and yeah. it, I mean, it's really interesting for me because it, it does two things that I think are fascinating. Well, he, well, he's sort of done two things that are fascinating. One is most spinners still don't use the knuckleball. 
which mm. I think is really interesting being that finger spinners especially have long fingers and should be able to bowl it. And I think every finger spinner in the world should be able to bowl a knuckleball. Not every finger spinner, that's unfair, but a vast majority should be able to bowl it and yeah. they don't. And that annoys me. And then he's doing the other thing where he's, hold, where he's hiding the wrist behind him, which again, I now think that finger spinners should be able to do. So I, it'd be interesting to see if future generations be able to do that. Now, we have talked about his bowling nonstop. But in the 2018 IPL, he was the MVP, and it wasn't just because of his bowling. My memory of it was that Michael Beer had tormented the Melbourne Renegades, which is hilarious with everything we've just said about <laughs> the kind of bowler that Michael Beer was. Michael Beer, for those who don't remember, was a big, strong left arm a finger spinner who was a quick bowler who basically didn't make it, remade himself as a finger spinner and tormented teams in the Big Bash. Like no one could hit him off the square when he opened the bowling. Him and Samuel Badgery completely dominated those days when it came to opening the bowling as a spinner. And so the Renegades were like, why don't we just throw Sunil Narayan in to open the batting? I think Aaron Finch came up with the idea. Yeah. What's very, very funny about the whole thing is that Sunil Narayan had just had a revolution with his batting. I think I had written, if it wasn't at that game, I was at one of the other Renegade games. I just realized that Sunil Narayan was one of the few players who'd reached par with his batting, where he'd hit as many sixes as he had fours. And he'd spent about three or four years learning how to hit sixes, right? Finally gets really good at hitting sixes and then he gets thrown up to the top of the order due to a completely different role where he starts hitting a lot more fours. And so Aaron Finch sort of did it on a whim. And my memory is that I think they might have been, did they, Michael B. maybe, did, did he bowl the first over? I know what started happening. Was, yeah. I think that time they might have, the next time they did it, Michael B. just didn't bowl the first over. And so Sun on oh, okay. ended up having to open up against other people. The Renegades, I think only... Yeah, my memory is he bowled Michael Beer and... He actually didn't hit Michael Beer. I think he might have hit Scott Boland from the other end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was right. a crazy part of it because that was a matchup, but he actually ended up taking on the same. Yeah. And then they, yeah. they did it for three games, if I remember correctly. Didn't work. And then he goes to Kolkata and Kolkata, they thought about it a lot and they decided that it could work even better for them than it did in the Big Bash. No, no, that's a misconception. So what happened between... Oh, please tell me. Yeah. The, what happened between the Tranagades and KKR Mm-hmm. was Level Karandas. Oh, of course, yes. And Brennan McCallum didn't play him in the opening role. He didn't play him down the order as well. He was essentially floating around five, yeah. six, seven and whatnot. And I think he hit more sixes and more specialist bats. Yeah. I think it's only Omar Akhmala, Karen Pollard with more sixes than him that season. And he was hitting essentially on junk, medium pace and spin. And that is probably facilitating this transition from that big bash to the IPL because he's actually getting much more game time. He's batting 13 to 17 balls or something around that range and actually getting scores in excess of 20-30. Yeah, no, you're right. But I think what Kolkata did was is they made him a permanent opener, didn't he? Which is which is separate again. So Renegades didn't make him a permanent opener. They used him a few times. No. You're right. And in the PSL, he did float around, which is more the role he's probably better suited to now. But yeah. by 2018, he wins the IPL MVP, largely because of his batting. The thing is that it was so ahead of its time that I remember talking to people who knew a lot about cricket who were just like, this is a waste. He's not making any runs. And I was <laughs> like, if you just look at his average, he basically makes 17 runs off 10 balls every innings. That is an absolutely incredible thing to be able to confirm, isn't it? Yeah, it's ridiculous because if he's batting down the order, he's at best adding you one or two runs 
above par. And if you bat him up at top, he's expecting an expendable resource. If he gets out, you're not losing anything. But then actually getting that fast out of him, you're almost covering for a slow starter's start at the top, right? Because that's when are apprehensive at the top. They're not going to get off to 17 of 10, 18 of 10 every day. You talked about it in your article. Essentially, batters bats in a conservative way because that's what they've always done, right? Yeah. Even in T20, if it looks exciting, outside of Luke Ronke, most people do not start very fast, right? But yeah. Sunil Narayan never thought of himself as a batter. And so he batted yeah. in a way where he just went all in and he had absolutely no fear. And that is really the difference, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that, because he has no idea of what a conventional batter looks like. He has conventional strokes, but that's not the mindset he's going in with. And what he's essentially trying to do is smack every ball. If he gets out, so be it. And the fact that he embraces it up to this point is actually crazy because the other day when he came in, he was batting for the Oval Invincibles. They lost three wickets at the other end when he was batting. And he was still trying to hit Jake Lintot for six heavy ball. And the fact that he's coming in in the floater role, not the opening role, losing wickets on the other end, trying to do the same thing, I think it just embodies the fact that he's just grown into this role and he puts no value to his wicket every time he bats. And that's actually commendable. So let's just go through everything we've talked about here. He basically was an off-spinner who could spin the ball both ways. As you said, it's not even fair to really call him an off-spinner, but an off-spinner who could spin the ball two ways, which there had already been a few of, but he kind of perfected that. He then basically bluffed a couple of years where he bowled on his reputation. And in those couple of years, probably knowing that he wasn't bowling as well, he worked on his six hitting, so he became a tail-ender who could hit regular sixes. He then works on his game again so that he then has more dangerous balls to be able to bowl, like the knuckleball continues to evolve for him. And when people start to pick the knuckleball, he bowls it up his ass. He then accidentally becomes a top-order pinch hitter and then a middle-order floater, then a top-order pinch hitter. Now he's a middle-order floater again (laughs) who bats in a way unlike other batters because he doesn't worry about going out. His entire career has been about him trying to evolve into this perfect T20 specimen. Hasn't it? And it's not always worked because his action's not always been there. You and I both know his batting's actually really limited. Neither of us would say he's yeah. a, a top bat. We know that there are many different kinds of bowling he can't handle and many different situations yeah. he doesn't like to bat in. So he's he's a limited bowler and a limited batter. And yet here he is still absolutely starring when he plays because of this constant search for perfection that unfortunately none of us get to find out about because he never talks about it himself. So people like <laughs> you and I have to do all the talking. But He really is being on this incredible journey to make himself the most perfect T20 player he can at any one time. Yeah, I think it's probably out of force as well because it seems like cricket just doesn't want him to get there. But he battles to every obstacle and it's actually crazy because of the mental resolve that goes into it as well because his career could have ended at any point. He gets called almost every other year now. And I think it's probably the fear of his career going down at any point and also that strive for perfection. So it's probably both those things that fire him up to 40 years now. And I brought up Trinidad at the start, partly because there's just no way Sun on her own comes from another cricket culture. Like, I I don't see how that happens. So firstly, he needed to get a good agent, which I know sounds silly, but you and I know how important a good agent is in T20 cricket. So his agent is Insignia who look after Rashid Khan and Kyron Pollard and, you know, a lot of huge name players. 
they got him into the leagues early on and they moved him around. And also when he was not as in demand, they made sure he kept getting work, right? So straight away, that helps from being in Trinidad. The six-hitting stuff has to be a Trinidad thing. I'm just, yeah. it, it just has to be, doesn't it? Yeah, because his batting is almost natural. The way he hits the ball through the offside, I don't think, if you pick any random tailender, they're not going to do that. So that six-hitting almost comes naturally to him. And think about his length, because I think that, you, you know, you talked about a lot, that length is so important. I just think if you're an Indian spinner or a Australian spinner or a South African spinner and you're bowling that length, there's no way there isn't four coaches in the corner going, pitch it up, pitch it up. Whereas in Trinidad, he already had Samuel Badri ahead of him. And yeah. he also, they were already, look, you know, Kevon Cooper, we've already talked about, even Kyron Pollard's bowling, which is not very good, but it's very clever. <laughs> And Dwayne Bravo, they're thinking about all these yeah. different ways of their bowling is almost an by any means necessary style. Yeah. And they have done that, right? It's just remarkable that Trinidad continue to provide us with these absolutely bizarre cricketers. And he's sort of like the most brilliant and most bizarre version of what Trinidad cricket has done for T20. Yeah. Beautiful. Is there anything that we have missed in the great career of Sun on Our Own? I don't have anything else in mind. So it's actually crazy because when we started up, we probably thought there wasn't any way we could talk about all of this. And there's probably a lot more that we don't know about. Like you said, if you actually opened up, there was pro this probably so much more. I see this podcast as something we will do. And then hopefully eventually he will talk to one of us, sit us down, <laughs> take us through everything. Maybe not yet, but maybe in the next one or two years when he starts to think about his career beyond cricket. Because... I just think that there's so much that young players could learn from what he has done. And he's kept a bit like hiding the ball behind his bum. He's hit his career behind his bum at times. And it's like, how did he keep getting better? How did he keep thinking? I just think he is one of the most remarkable cricketers. And it's been an absolute pleasure to get on another Sun on Narayan nerd to talk to me about it. So thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on here. It was great talking about Narayan. I think such a great player and probably deserved having a whole episode on him. So thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon. So thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears. And the theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets. If you're enjoying Red Inca but want to know more about Fred Spoffer's moustache or the time Vizzy got stumped looking like a buffoon or any other great stories from Cricket's past, well, I have a History of Cricket podcast called Double Century. This time we look at something that will please cricket fans around the world, except maybe from one country, because we're looking at the first time teams defeated England. It's a different kind of podcast series in that it's mostly narrated, but there will also be some key episodes that I'm interviewing the players involved. You can hear this by finding Double Century in your favourite podcast app.